For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found Modern Mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. We got a good one. What is up? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of the world. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of the show. I'm your host, Shane Told, as always. And first off, I apologize (laughs) for the tardiness of uh, this episode. You know, I know I said I was going to have it up last week. Well, you know, uh, sometimes life gets in the way of living a little bit, to quote grade. And uh, honestly, this episode is worth the wait. We got a good one. Daryl Palumbo of Glassjaw of Head Automatica. He's here on the show. It's funny, you know, how you can run in the same circles as bands. And Glassjaw was a little bit before us in a bit of a different scene. But I never met Daryl before. Been a huge fan, huge admirer of everything Glassjaw has done in their career. Maybe an even bigger Head Automatica fan, to be honest. That record, Decadence, what a record. Um, But I never met Daryl before. And I ran into him over in the UK at the Slam Dunk Festival. And I know their drummer, Chad, who used to be in Glass Cloud. So he introduced me and we hit it off. And I said, dude, let's do a podcast. He followed through and here we are. On your radio, stereo, Bluetooth device, in your car, headphones, whatever you're doing. We're here together and it's a great episode. Thank you so much for checking it out. I'm on tour right now. I'm recording this from beautiful Montreal, a city I just love. But I feel like every time I come through here, it's in the middle of the winter. Like the dead of winter when it's just so cold, so much snow, so miserable. So it is amazing to be here in the summer. I can't wait to get outside, take a lovely walk, maybe get some poutine, you know. It is very, very exciting, and it's a great tour. We're playing all over America and Canada with August Burns Red, some of our best friends. They're celebrating 10 years of their seminal release, Constellations, Silent Planet, Garrett, a guest of the show twice. They're playing as well. So get your tickets now. We're just three days in, but it has been so much fun. Just such a good time. So chill. And uh, what a show August Burns Red has for y'all. So yes, check it out wherever concert tickets are sold. Before I forget, I want to remind you guys, you can always get in touch with me. I get a lot of emails. I try to reply to all of them. I think I get back to most people, but hit me up, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com if you got suggestions for future guests of the show or anything really you want to say. Totally cool. If you want to hate on me, we have that option too. You can call the hate line. You can leave me a message of hate. The number is 657 666 
H A T E. Maybe you're going to get on me for getting a little weird in this one at the beginning, but you can thank Steve from Punchline for that. I stole his uh, his shtick a little bit um, because I still think that's my favorite episode I've ever done on the show with Steve from Punchline Live at Cinnerfest. And uh, yes, I, I wanted to tell Daryl that uh, he was a certain amount of days old and uh, also um, happy belated 14,000 day old birthday to me. I just turned 14,000 days. Uh, just, uh, I think it was just last week. So anyway, um, everything is wonderful and hit me up and that's all good. And you know what? If you want to support the show, check out the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. We're having meetups on this tour just about every city and it is pretty cool. Yesterday we had a nice one in New Jersey. Tomorrow in Toronto. Oh, that's definitely going to be a big one. But yes, for as little as $6 a month, that gets you in the club. You get bonus episodes, bonus content, more interaction with me, more interaction with other fans of the show. You get stuff in the mail. It really is just a good time. And uh, and shout out to all my sinners all over the world. Almost at 350 of you guys. So thank you very much. It really is what keeps the lights on around here and keeps the show going and growing and allows us to have great guests like this week. Daryl from Glassjaw. So without further ado, let's do it. Here is my conversation with Daryl Palumbo of Glassjaw. Hey, man. Hey. Daryl, how are hey. you? Chilling. How you doing? Good, dude. Good, man. Nice, good. To, nice to talk to you. I'm glad we're finally doing it. Thanks, uh, for, uh, <laughs> thanks for having me do it. How you been? Uh, I've been I've been great, man. I, uh, I think I, the last time I saw you, obviously, was was it t- only two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. At the, two, at the uh, slam two weeks dunk. ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. How was your set? How'd it go? It, it, it went really well, actually, you know, and... and my band in the UK is kind of always been like oil and water, oh. <laughs> you know, like it's weird, you know, I, I feel like, um, cause we've done, we've done really well, you know, in the U S and Canada and then mainland Europe eats, eats our shit up, you know, but for right. some reason, I don't know what it is. The UK's always been like, never really given us the same kind of love. Uh. Uh, they, yeah, yeah, they're fickle. They can be fickle. They yeah. can be, but not. I don't think for. I don't think for Glassjaw. I think they like Glassjaw. A little. So I mean, yeah, they were. They were. They were always. They seemed nicer to us than our own country did when we were, since we were young. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Right. So you. So you guys had a good set. The weather was so miserable that. We, oh, so we were, bad. Oh, we were trying to stick around, but you know how it is. Like you fly in for the show. We have a hotel room like forty-five minutes away. It's like we got to get the fuck out of here. We got no. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah, it's the worst. I hate that. But it it's went the worst well. Thing in the world. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it was cool. I think the first night there was a couple of technical, mm. some technical difficulties. There always, there's always something. But uh, I mean, yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was good. Kids are uh, kids are pretty receptive. I think That's seems awesome. good. That's awesome. Is it? Do you like this kind of sporadic? You know, you do a show two weeks, and then I don't know when the next one is, and then you know you do a tour, and it's only a few weeks long. Do you like living that way? Does it bring more excitement? to what you do or do you kind of miss the like all right we're going out for like six no months. i don't i don't miss touring at all never. Okay. no way okay. i don't even i don't even like going away for the little weekends but i mean it's better right. it's good we'll do a clump of weekends or something when there's sort of an event or a significant you know date or yeah, i don't know or record every 15 years but yeah, <laughs> yeah really I, yes <laughs> Well, yeah. it's been it's been a wild, I mean, a wild ride for you, for Glassjaw, um, your other projects, and everything. And I mean, I've had legends on the show before. I don't want to toot your own, you know, toot your horn too much, but having <laughs> you on the show is it really? If if you talk about post hardcore, if you talk about whatever you know type of music you guys make, this is a special uh, uh, interview. So I really do appreciate you taking the time in. Oh, thanks, man. That's very nice of you. That's as funny as that sounds. That's very nice of you. 
<laughs> I know. Well, that's the way, right? Like from the out, from the inside looking out, you know, and your perspective on yourself is going to be completely different from the way everyone else looks at Daryl Palumbo. You know what I mean? I would. I think so. You think so? You don't really know. Even know. <laughs> I definitely think so. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, and and one thing about you, and you might not even be aware of this, is there's a real aura of and a mystery with you. Oh, despite okay. no, desp- right. it's interesting because despite you being um, pretty outspoken and pretty direct when people ask you questions, when you do interviews and stuff, like you don't hold back. But yet, for some reason, there is this kind of mystery around you, um, and I think it—it's mostly just because of Glassjaw's, I mean, kind of crazy career. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think it's—I don't know. I, I think everything seems a little bit more mysterious, maybe than it, and it actually was. I, I feel like we used to tour a bunch, and I'd get sick, and yeah, we'd have to cancel shit, and and uh, and I think that that kind of maybe. <laughs> added some sort of you know drama or theater to it i don't know i don't know i don't like yeah. doing i don't do interviews i don't really do too much too much stuff like that only right. if it's someone i know or something like that right, I, right, I, you right. know i'm just quiet i'm 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 definitely pretty honest and direct i yeah, think when i, I think talk to people too. but uh but i'm pretty fucking quiet i don't I hide out. There's yeah. no reason. I, <laughs> right. No. Um, well, I, I really enjoyed just even just talking to you, picking your brain for like 15 minutes at the festival a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, well, this is great. Like we hit it off. And oh, yeah, yeah, it was great chatting with you, man. It was good. Yeah. Chad said he loves you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. And I could talk about Chad all day, That the drummer for, for uh, Glassjaw now who used to be in glass cloud, just switch one of the words and you're good. Um, but, but yeah, he's, he is a, one of my favorite people I've ever toured with. Oh yeah. Magic dude. Totally magic person. I know. I in, know. Every, in every way, in every way. Absolutely, man. So, um, do you, so I just want to give you a little statistic here and I got, I got to give a little shout out to uh, Steve from punchline for this one, but, um, I'm sure you're not aware of this, Daryl, but you, it has been you today. We are we are speaking on uh, June eleventh, two thousand nineteen. Okay. Today you are fourteen thousand seven hundred and thirty one days old. <laughs> That's a lot of fucking days. Yeah. Bro. So you're you're um you're gonna turn fifteen thousand days old on fri- <laughs> Friday, March sixth, two thousand twenty. <laughs> That's crazy because I feel at least sixteen thousand days old i do I always, I always feel a little older than uh than my age well i could tell you when you're gonna when you're gonna turn sixteen thousand days old too um well i don't know i, I mean I, I got this little statistic from my friend steve from punchline but i think it's interesting and i like to look up when people are coming to that milestone because you know do you know where you were when you turned ten thousand days old you don't know no i don't, don't know at all you don't no, know don't. and you know so there you go on march 6th i'm gonna text you and I'm going to tell you that you're 15,000 days old and you can have a little party. Uh, I will. I'll it's a Friday. I'll get champagne. Oh, is it? Oh, it's a Friday. Yeah. Yeah, it's Friday. Yeah. But another thing is you're born um, You're born on February 10th, yes. 1979. I'm born on February 13th in 1981. Hey, there's a lot of Februaries in that it's, sort of two week span dude, that it I is, have in my life. It God is bless. literally like a thing. <laughs> Um, in fact, w- with my band and crew and tour- touring party, we have two February tents. Both oh wow! Nineteen eighty-two, both nineteen eighty-two, actually. What? That's so fucking crazy. What's at, nine months before that? Uh, I mean, what well, is that? Why is everything? You know, May tenth. I don't know. My my birthday. See, nine months before my birthday is my parents' anniversary. Oh, so that wow. shit makes I wonder, sense. I wonder, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go dad. But, yeah. but yes, no. So I just, I just thought it was an interesting tidbit um, that you probably didn't good. know about yourself. But I, I, didn't I really know that. I didn't. do think that there's something to be said about that week. Um, That's and a crazy fucking and Creativity. And I don't know if you have any belief in that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I never really thought about that type of stuff too, too much. No. Uh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. gotta be bullshit, right? But I don't know. I don't know. I'm with it. I do know uh, a lot of people from in that week that is, that are, uh, they're all born in that week, a bunch of creative dudes. That's definitely real. So, and being, being from the North, like you and I are, um, what a shit time of year to have a birthday. 
Yeah, it's really shitty. Oh, it's, it's really awful. shitty. It's right after Christmas. Everyone has like holiday fatigue and then it's yeah. freezing. And, no, it's shitty. Yeah, oh, I don't man. like that. Dude, it's, it's awful, man. So <laughs> you have recently turned 40. Yes. And for some people, that's just another year, another number. Other people look at it as like, you know, some kind of milestone, good or bad. Uh, <laughs> has that? How has that been for you? Is there any, do you have any thoughts about that? No, no, I don't really feel much different. Good. <laughs> I feel this. I feel the same. I think uh, I, it was a lot of stuff in my in the last five six years, maybe in my like five years of my life. From I was getting married and just a lot of, yeah. not, a lot of things in my life, having a kid and stuff. Those things, those things make me feel different. Not so much turning forty, but it is. It's a crazy milestone, definitely. I mean, you know, I de- it's fucking pretty far out. I remember <laughs> when my dad turned forty. I remember that being like he was one hundred and fifty fucking years old. Oh so. yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. It feels it sounds older than I think I feel. But. Yeah, well, and you look great for your age, by the way, dude. But uh, oh, thank you. so, so let's. Uh, <laughs> if you don't mind, man, I would love to just go back and talk about. We've talked about you know your age now and stuff. I'd love to go back and talk about some of the beginning days. And it's very. Um, everyone knows you. You grew up Long Island, New York. Yeah. Um, and. You know, since now everyone knows your age if they didn't before, you know, you can kind of put together this thought of growing up there, going into the city for shows, I imagine, at probably a pretty young age, back when New York City was dangerous, back yeah, when hardcore try. was dangerous, back when you didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, it's kind of like, like, you know, the expression, what a time to be alive. It must have been pretty crazy for you. So what was it like for you, you know, growing up, um, what was your, you know, family structure like and, and how, how kind of did music play a role, you know, in those early days? Uh, yeah, I had a musical, I had a musical family, my dad and, uh, and his brother, really musical dudes. My mom's brother, who was way younger than her, sort of like cool young uncles into, you know, badass hard rock and and crazy Prague and pot smoking music and shit like that. Right. You know? I remember some like Bomber and Zappa and fucking Sabbath and all this and all this really like far out psychedelic heavy distortion, you know, distorted guitar shit. And then my dad was just super musical in my and in my house. You know, he was just always playing music and playing with people and there's a lot of you know, a lot of uh, R and B and British Invasion stuff and New Wave and that was kind of a big. Yeah, singer-songwriter stuff. You know, my dad dug all that shit. He played a lot of guitar and, <clears throat> and drums and sang, and so it was just kind of there. Was, my parents had me take, you know, was it piano lessons at a really young age? Just the obvious. I feel like it's right. sort of a thing that a lot of there's a lot of people on Long Island that go through that same thing. I think a lot of just Long Island, Far East, Far Out East on Long Island, the Queens. It's just like a big. You know, a lot of Jewish and Italian dudes are all just like taking <laughs> piano lessons, guitar lessons, getting yeah. into thrash metal. I think I was just pretty stereotypical for the way it was, but I think I was just, you know, typical blue collar, working class, Long Island family. Did you have my dad and sisters? just into music. No. Just no, no, it was just, yeah, me and my, uh, me and my mom and my dad, but me and my dad were really was close. We were very close my whole life. So he was, he was like music, just like nonstop. Music and then showering me personally, I guess, with it because it was just me and him. You know? Yeah. So just yeah, classic rock, new that's, wave so, stuff like that. Cool. So so then, how did you find you know hardcore punk rock? Obviously, what's you know led you to your life's work. Well, I think he, I think a lot of it was without him maybe realizing it, like the edgier sort of old punk stuff, uh, like uh, you know a lot of the earlier new wave post punky things that he might have had around. A lot of it looked edgier, more crazy, sloppy artwork and a little bit more sort of political or edgy sort of lyrics and messages, the clash, some squeeze stuff, Graham Parker, a lot of like weird shit that was, could have been a little punk just because I think that was in the, that was just in the air maybe at that point in time. And, uh, and just like that, that sort of shit and the clash was just, it always stuck with me. It's like, this was obviously punk. I guess I understood that. I wrapped my head around it. I knew the look of, you know, Sandinista came with like a big poster of sort of magazine and shit. Like I just knew that that stuff always stuck. It kind of always stuck with me, just like wild, being wild. Yeah. I, I was being really fascinated by like Pete Townsend smashing a guitar. Uh, <laughs> you know, Mick Jones or Joe Strummer, whoever it was, smashing the guitar on the cover of London Calling. Like all those things are like very impactful, impactful images for me. Just remembering the look of live instruments and 
you know, and just that the wild sort of uh, approach to it all seems to really come across to me as a little kid in photographs and in record sleeves and shit. So, um, so I guess that you know they carried they carried through. I always dug anything my my dad liked. Everything, you know, it was Ben Halen, New Wave, whatever the fuck it was, Chaka Khan, right. a lot of R&B and stuff, whatever it was, he, whatever he dug, I dug. But I guess on my own, I don't know, maybe like 1989, third grade, I don't know, third grade, somewhere, like little kid style. You know, you go to record, record stores on Long Island, that's yeah. mid-80s, like uh, mid-80s to late 80s, were like record store, the record store years. And then that time, it was like Anthrax and skate music. And thra- I mean, Thrasher. I think it was the Thrasher issue. Too, that was like the New Year's issue from like 89 <laughs> to 90, like when it became 80, like, you know, the last issue of the year or the first issue of the right. year or whatever it was. I still have it somewhere, but that was kind of like a really pivotal, that specific issue. I think it was like Pusshead had an art, had a, had like a, a column. And I think it was called the Puss Zone, right? And he did a rundown of like the hundred greatest punk hardcore records, and that was, you know, I think that was nineteen eighty nine. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So like you're doing the top hundred as of then. So everything was like so fucking obscure and so hard to wrap my mind around. I was so young, and these names of these fucking bands that are now just like second nature and are just like define me in so many ways in my own mind. Like I think of these band names, I think of me young and feeling it. Yeah. But like at the time, reading this fucking list was like. That moment, that issue, uh, Mike Gitter, a dude that uh, works at, worked at Roadrunner, worked at Century Media, he signed me and yeah. signed Justin and I twice. He signed a lot of bands and he still does sign a lot of big <laughs> fucking bands. Um, he uh, he wrote a column too. He, he did one of like the most famous early era hardcore fanzines ever. And uh, he went on to be an A&R guy and write for Thrasher. He had a column and his column writing about hardcore that changed my life. So it's pretty much Thrasher, skating, yeah. rap, seeing that rap was like very much interchangeable with hardcore and skinheads and understanding what skinheads really, what that meant. And not, you know, right. like rather than, you know, getting all that shit and reading Thrasher and fucking skating and skating and wanting to be a skinhead and a skater and a, you know, industrial and punk and <laughs> 9,000 things ones that nobody heard yet. It was all just kind of like happening and yeah. wool hats and graffiti and fucking crazy skater clothes. And oh, man. It was, I was all, it was all, it was very, it's crazy. You know, and you know, and you know. I, that's, that's cool. It's amazing how, you know, in, in that, those days of, you know, of our youth, when at that age, there's no internet, you know, no if you way. want, if you mystical. want a record, if you want a, mystical. Yeah, yeah. If you want a record, you have to either, find like 20 bucks that no one has like no one who has money and go to like a store that actually has it and then buy it and half the time like it's shit or you might not like you know what i mean you might not know yeah you don't want to spend you had like steel cassettes from your grandparents and like we would take the fucking train or like the bus or walk to these record stores and trade the records in like can if i trade these five fucking sinatra cassettes in can i get like (laughs) one agnostic front cause for alarm cassette like that's really real like i remember that and like the late eighties, like doing that, like making somebody go on the train with me to the flea market, trade it for agnostic front, like victim in pain on cassette or like Liberty and justice on cassette or yeah. something. And, and cause for alarm on cassette. And that shit just fucked me up. Like I just, that was, you know, I those know, are the man. And it's little things, too. little bits, like and little bits. Like if you can't have a whole band's discography tonight in the next 30 seconds, you have no patience for it. Whereas like two random cassettes that could have been complete fucking garbage were the focal point of like an entire two years of my life. Like <laughs> almost like, like the fucking Holy grail is like the, the cassette with two AF albums on it whatever it was caroline or combat record like it was just like yeah. everything the smell of it but then meanwhile like if you can't have you know every fucking you know depeche mode record with all the singles and the remixes in one convenient download in the next 15 minutes you're mad and you can't deal with it i need it immediately you know? it's so true like um i know you have a son so like you know you'd say the top hard 100 hardcore records that thrasher said in 1989 that's it. <laughs> Getting all those records at the time is like is like catching all the fucking Pokemon ever. Every Pokemon ever. Not even in the game. It's like the odds of catching a Pokemon in real life. Right. Are the odds of getting the fucking hundred right. records on the Puss head, it, it, uh, the Puss is on top one hundred. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's so, it's so like, I, I, sometimes when I talk about this stuff afterwards, I'm like, oh, am I just like complaining about being an old guy? But what people don't understand was it was fucking fun. Yeah, of course. No, it was never angering. The only thing angering was that good kind of 
like I can't beat a video game, so I'm angry. But it's like, man, what is better than that? Like I can't. I don't right. have money to buy fifty to buy every fucking cassette on the Victory Records, you right. know, photocopied. I mean, like that was my life. Like, do I need to eat lunch this week? No, fuck it. I can get a bunch of candy, kick it, and then in ninth grade, I could spend the fucking twenty dollars on seven seven inches, to, you know, and the handwritten oh, letter from the and, dude who owned Victory. It was just, you know, that, dude, man, I, there's nothing, you know, things don't compare and to that. Pouring over the records that you actually uh, bought and consumed, like, uh, there's records I could probably tell you. <laughs> I could probably just recite you like the thank you list of, of the people they fucking thanked. Yeah, me too, man. I mean, now, that's real. Now, like, that's you, real. Now you look at a you buy a record you don't even know you don't even know what the liner notes are there aren't liner notes no there's no liner notes i mean if i do i do you know sometimes i'll have i'll design a few things for people here and there and it's always i think i, I always try to design my shoot a little too hard like well you know this back cover and these amazing these images and then this, yeah. you know you can do this i mean like nobody even downloads a pdf with a record that just doesn't even exist there's nothing it's just a tiny tiny square yeah i don't know what i would do if it was just a tiny square back then it was like to get a 12 inch or to get a cassette was like very special very special thing that i was i wanted to study for a very long time yeah like hey thank you list on records i mean how do you find out you find out more bands by by reading the thank you list right (laughs) obviously So, so do you remember the first um hardcore or punk show you went to or like one of the first I mean, Long Island, Long Island was like the first one that was like, holy shit, it's like a silent majority show, this band Silent Majority from Long Island, yep, they were like yep. the kings of Long Island, unbelievable yep. band, we were growing up, friends of ours at the time, and and uh, I mean, yeah, Silent Majority show, maybe bands, uh, Bug Out Society played, they were sort of this Guido-y metal hardcore i don't know i can't even or in a punk i don't know it was like funny i, I like know. that name <laughs> bug out society yeah. bug out was like a very 1991 sort of thing hey i'm bugging out i can't I, take it I anymore know. i'm bugging out everyone's bugging he's gonna bug out yo man you're gonna bug out i'm bugging it was a very <laughs> no uh, well it's funny you told me a story and i won't repeat it without your permission but you told me a story like uh just two weeks ago we were talking about Fall Out Boy, and you and you used that term, and I was like, "Ah, oh, damn, man, that's I mean, yeah. that's like just that's like an old term or a New York term. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, which, that's a both. very yeah, that's no, that's real. I mean, I definitely say it, but like I say it, and I it doesn't really hit me when I say it. But when you hear a dude on an old ass record <laughs> say the word, I'm bu- it's got bugging out. Like it's definitely on Warzone records and shit. Like dudes just right. saying that was a very <laughs> yeah, it's a very New York thing. I'll listen to this podcast back, and I'll be bugging out. Listen, thinking, thinking about it. oh damn dude so i want to talk about the formation of kind of your musical career um obviously you know um you know it was a a long island hardcore and you have the new york new york city you know scene and everything right there um but one kind of interesting tidbit that i didn't really realize i didn't make this connection until like far 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 later was one of my favorite bands when i was a kid and it was the same thing. I found this record in a record shop was Sons of Abraham. Yeah, it's Justin and yeah. Todd that was in the band. Too. Yeah, I know. Those were our dudes. That I, was like sort I know. of a... It's, and it's crazy was, because yeah. so Sons of Abraham, I, I think I'd heard like a MP3 or something like really primitive, you know, like when people used to share that shit. And they were coming to play a show in my hometown of Oakville, Ontario. And I couldn't go to the show and I missed it. But I was lucky enough that somebody had bought or sold uh, their LP, so I have the the like I guess the whatever it is termites, termites and a that's smile, right yeah. yeah. So yeah, I have yeah. that um, on I have that on vinyl that I got at a record store for like ten bucks, and I listened yeah. to that shit so much. And it wasn't <laughs> until I met Todd, like I think he was in like that band These Enzymes, like that he did like years later. I, yeah, if I mix it up, maybe I am. That, maybe but, I, but no, that, I know. He's, yeah, I don't know. You're probably right. But then I was like, I was like, oh yeah. So there's this like record that I had, and and they're like, oh yeah, that's like that's like the guys from Glassjaw, and I had no idea. And now it makes sense because yeah, that, that record was, uh, was like insane. Yeah. Um, it's a great record. I used to love that. I used to love that stuff. And, and then that to, obviously that yeah. band kind of led to the formation of Glassjaw in a weird way, I guess. Right? You were right after. Well, no, that. no, Glassjaw was the. Uh, we were, I mean, Glassjaw was kind of going the whole time, but oh, okay. I, I okay. think that, uh, yeah, no, Glassjaw was going the whole time. 
kind of, in the, I don't know, in the background. I mean, I don't know. Me and Justin were always doing that. But I think, I think uh, at a certain point, we were just around hardcore so much and everybody was in bands and booking, booking shows and booking tours. And, and I kind of, my parents didn't really want me to be in a band. So I was like, they were just, they weren't strict per se for, for musical sort of people, but they were, they just, they didn't want me to, you know, be a fucking degenerate and blow their fucking money that they were working hard uh, to earn so fucking put me through school and whatnot. But they didn't want me in a band, and I and I definitely never really was able to wrap my head around how I could ever tour when I was young. I was I was young, I was mad young, and um and I think Justin was kind of he was like yeah I wanted to, I think he just wanted to tour and play shows at that point, and all our friends were just like let's go fucking play shows, drive, play shows. Right. And Glesha did. Glesha definitely did, but. I think it was like right when Sons of Abraham, like right when he was like, when Justin like made a bunch of the metal, straight edge metal stuff. It was like Earth Crisis, yeah. you know, heavy shit. Yeah. And it was just like really of that time. And he was, you know, just like into going and playing shows. And I think the singer, Neil, he, he always oh, booked Neil, a lot not of Todd. Shows. Why did I say I, that's Neil? Of course, not Todd. Yeah, yeah. Neil, Neil always booked shows. Well, Todd was in it too. Todd yeah, was yeah, I'm, I'm, too. I yeah, mix up their names. Yeah, but uh, and they were all and they're all Jewish. I wasn't. I'm not. A, I was. I wasn't. <laughs> I'm not in the gang, you know. Right, but uh, right. so they uh, immediately they started playing tons of shows out of state. And it was kind of like I, I I wasn't really doing. It. I was I was young and I wasn't really able to do it. So it was Justin would call me, you know, from the road and to, to talk to me. They I think they toured in like a station wagon for some of it. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I uh, you should ask Neil at some point. Yeah, sure I, I, if I ever run into him again, stories. I know he's still around. I I feel like I saw yeah. him a few years yes, back. Yes. But um, but I will, man. But but um, anyway, back back to you. Um, so well, you say you know you didn't really want to tour. You didn't really think you could because of your you know your family. Were were your health issues prevalent at that age too, or did that come no, that later? Was, that was early. That was really early. I mean, I, I feel that was maybe it was just starting around there. But uh, yeah. we were young. I mean, we were just like. I feel like I was a kid. Like I see photos. I've seen photos of Sons Abraham shows in the last year or so like somebody showed it to me and i'm literally in the audience moshing or whatever the fuck it is and i look like i'm 13 15 i don't know i just look really young so that, that's a long time ago no yeah. i guess at that point it was a little before all the all the me getting sick a lot kind of thing was going on but yeah but that was a little bit later that was when we really were touring and it was kind of it was kind of difficult because i guess what i was going through at the time but yeah yeah well you know what's crazy to me you know, and, and I guess this is maybe just indicative of, you know, you take the biggest underground music scene in the world in New York, but you also have like the biggest mainstream scene, um, you know, in the world. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe LA is, is a big, you know, a bigger, a bigger one, but you have all these hardcore bands that somehow end up on major labels, you know, like you talk about like, you know, sick of it all or biohazard or quicksand, and it's like hardcore kids somehow, like, I don't know if it's the New York hustler thing, like, hey, we're, you know, but I always thought it was surprising once I learned more about you and, and your upbringing and stuff that Glassjaw was on, was on a major label and kind of got discovered in that old school way rather than it being like, a, oh yeah, we're like a, you know, New York hardcore band. Like, yeah, uh, I mean, that's totally what New York bands did. That was kind of, that I was know. a different time. That was like a different, it's a different thing. I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of, I mean, it was like New York and LA, I guess, had bands that were some, somewhat had some hardcore lineage that would get signed maybe. But there was a lot of that. I feel like that was a very New York sort of thing. Or like you, you grew up in New York and you're real exceptionally young playing wild hardcore and then the hardcore gets tamed a little bit and you learn right. how to play a little bit in the band. You maybe change bands once, 10 times and you just kind of circulate through the shit and bands kind of uh, sign in a deal and you, you know, some label's going to fucking throw it against the wall, see what sticks. Yeah, I think that was yeah. a very common New York sort of, sort of thing, you know, um, you know, Mike Gitter, the guy I was talking about, he's a Boston guy, but he signed us and he was very much signing, you know, weird you know, hardcore-ish, post-hardcore, noisy, indie, bizarre bands that were still playing heavy stuff. He was definitely signing bands like that in New York, late 90s, early 2000s. He signed Orange 9 Millimeter, you know. Yep. He signed Civ, signed Civ, which was pretty much signed Walter and Civ and, <laughs> and Sammy and all those guys. So, like, it was just a... I, I, it wasn't, we weren't like a band, like a fucking basement hardcore band with, like, um, in the, with these insane beliefs and, like, 
it was just wasn't like that. We were never like right. that. Like I was into clothes. Like we liked clothes and like <laughs> sexy, you know, yeah, like a sexy yeah. take on hardcore. Like that was just, that's the reality of it. You know, like we listened to quicksand and, and all these things and I died on 16 and burn. And there was a lot of, you know, like there's like some fashion consciousness going on and like a really, really good area to kind of get cultured, you know, New York in the eighties, nineties. I mean, yeah, that was it. So we weren't just, we weren't, you know, some band that was like, fuck that. We don't put barcodes on our records. Like we weren't one of those bands. Like I didn't mind MTV. I didn't give a fuck. I didn't like big bands when like Green Day was on TV and the offspring. I didn't like big bands. You know, I was listening to far, far more obscure shit, but like I knew there's, we were eventually going to sign to something and that never felt weird to me. I feel like everybody I admired somehow crossed over into that in some capacity. And then a lot of the bands, and then a lot of the bands were actually hardcore like hardcore bands like AF, you know, Agnostic Front, all those bands. Yeah. Those bands were on like, you know, Relativity, Combat. Like these were like bizarre labels that were like small, but like probably, you know, like linked up with majors or aspiring to be some sort of powerful label. I was just like, you know, that's how it was. And I think it was just obvious that that shit would go down at some point. But Did you have offers from, you know, like let's just say – indie labels like victory or evr or like no 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 we weren't either for and as for as much shit as i just talked i was like no i never gave a fuck i knew we would eventually sign to something that's just what bands did i mean we weren't even cool enough at the same time to be on a hardcore label <laughs> right like there was no right. hard any hardcore label that i liked at that point when it was like record contract time in the late ninth when i was like 1920 you know at that point everything that I don't know. I just did. No, I couldn't even listen to anything that was on a major label, but I just figured it was all going that direction. Right, right, right. right. Well, I I think it's funny, though, how, you know, you talk about how you didn't like, you know, the big bands. You mentioned Green Day and The Offspring. I'm going to mention Corn and Limp Bizkit uh, because (laughs) you went with the producer, Ross Robinson, that did those records and did that music. And I just would l- like have loved to be a fly on the wall for like pre-production <laughs> and what his, you know, interpretation of your music is versus your own, you know, and with like Justin, you know, coming from like Sons of Sons of Abraham. Uh, you, you know, like, yeah, we were wild. I, I think just he just thought it was the same. Love, I don't know. I, I don't even know uh, what he thought. I don't yeah, I don't know. It's just of crazy. I, I just really wonder about that. He, uh, I think he just saw this really unbridled, wild, prepubescent, crazy shit. And I think we just played just decent enough that it was, you know, coherent. It was coherent, you know, like we were never, we weren't like fucking crazy, you know, metal virtuosos. That it wasn't really what was happening. But I think there was enough sort of like, okay, this is like coherent a little bit. These dudes are wild. It's a little, doesn't look dirty these guys don't have long hair and green dreaded crazy <laughs> shit with you know big ears like we didn't look that's not what we are and i think there was a yeah a thing you, you guys cool. put on real pants not adidas know. pants right yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i think he's yeah i think he just thought that that you know we were di- i think he thought we were more exciting than we even were i think we were just really <laughs> close to like what was going on like yeah. we were a little bit of quicksand a little bit a little bit of shit on gravity records a little bit of you know, Faith No More, a little bit of yeah. sort of this, you know, anthraxy sort of New York heavy, groovy thing going. I mean, there's just a lot of things I think we were, and he saw it, maybe didn't know what to make of it and thought we were way more interesting, I think, probably than maybe. we were. But I we mean, were just, you know. A producer's job is to give you that confidence too, though, right? He like, did. Oh, no, I think he did yeah. in the beginning. I mean, that was like part of it. Like, this person appreciates us, and it's a person, I don't say a person of power, it's a dude that's like a decade older than us, at least, I think, at the time. Mm-hmm. And Sure. And, and, at least, right? And he's, it was just like this dude does things and he has, he recognizes us being good because we feel like we're good. But, uh, you know, that was, I mean, he did. He got us pumped whether we were good, which I don't think we were very good, and whether he had great taste, which who knows? He might have just been the, the allure of us being not, Slipknot might have been a good selling point. Right. That we're just the antithesis of that, you know. But it was just, yeah. Yeah. So with, you know, with your vocal style, um, you know, no one really sounds like you and there's always been bands trying to sound like you. Like I used to say, like, 
like I love I love Glassjaw, but fuck Glassjaw because so many people like shitty interpretations of Daryl existed <laughs> in this period, you know, in this window of time, um, you know, honestly. But um, was that that vocal style? You know, I just imagine you know you doing that. I don't really know where it came from. I, obviously, you've you've talked about so many bands that influenced you, but I just kind of think about that moment when you go, you know to make everything you want to know about silence and Ross Robinson's there and you're singing that way in a vocal booth and like, was he encouraging you? Was you, would he let you do whatever you wanted? Did it, did, was there not I even guess, a conversation yeah. about it? Like, no, there was always talking about it. Okay, like it would okay. be, I feel like it was always like, let's record vocals and let's watch you record vocals and let's like get in your head. There's always a lot of that shit. And oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know. I think I just, I, just, I don't know what he thought. I don't know what he thought. I think maybe he just thought I could keep a melody just enough that this is cool. And I was passionate. Yeah. I'm a passionate guy. You know, that's like, even if, if I'm not nailing something or if it's not, if it's, you know, if I'm not doing my, I just, I'm go, I attack it with passion. And I think that that was kind of, I think he saw that at the time. And I don't even mean that. I, that sounds absurd and egotistical. I just was passionate. I was young and I just was, Hungry, and me and Justin just wanted to smash it, you know. I mean, he was playing all those tracks. Ross would be agitating him or agitating me to nail a vocal and just get you in the zone, and we, yeah, and we did, I guess, you know. And I think he liked that, and we were, and we're just like very excitable, like fucking loud New Yorkers sometimes. Like it just <laughs> comes out, and I think, and I think he liked that, and I think he just kind of saw that I was just fearlessly singing all this really overly silly shit and overwritten and all these hitting all these notes, all these big right. notes and stupid notes and croony stuff. And I was just very young. And I think, I think for a dude making records, that's probably like, good, I have this. This is so fun to work with. I can work. I can right. work with this. Like you can always just trim it back. Yeah. You know, you can always just trim sure. me back. If you're an older dude and you're like, okay, he's, he's an idiot and he's a kid <laughs> and he doesn't know what he's doing. And he's just singing over everything. He doesn't know when to shut the fuck up. But I think I can kind of work with it. And that, you know, I think maybe he saw that. I think he sees, he saw that probably with all of our shit. I think a lot of yeah. our shit was just kind of like we were on our way. I mean, Justin, we're just kind of learning, learning it. And he's as a dude who made records, you know, I'm sure he saw that. And that was probably more fun to work with than, than other things. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I really don't know. It seems like a hundred lives ago. Well, I know, I know. And I'm, I'm like, I mean, yeah, I know. But I mean, we couldn't talk about it a hundred lives ago. That's why we talk about it now, right? Because right. now, now we can reflect at it back then. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know, fe- you use the word fearless, which is such a just a perfect word, really, to describe it. And I think that that was what makes what made it so um, uh, impactful, I guess, for lack of a better word, to to you know your fans that heard it and and to everybody because you weren't scared to write this insane vocal melody with your styling over it with lyrics that some of which were pretty questionable um (laughs) you you know i mean let's be honest and it was really it was really really out there um and really in your face which i think well just weird is good we uh, like weird like it wasn't like i was trying to sing in fucking you know you know the gogo dolls and it came across like i like but me i did i mean like we knew it was weird we liked weird and there was a there's like a I don't know, a tongue in cheek thing, a little bit sort of involved in it. So, I mean, we knew, I liked weird. Zappa, to me, Zappa is like the, you know, such a, I was always referencing Zappa. You know, everything was, to me was like funny. I don't know. It's hard to explain it, but yeah. Zappa's wild. It's very, it's frenetic. It's all over the place. I, I always enjoyed big, croony, crazy, croony, you know, whether it's Mike Patton or Haircut 100 or like mm-hmm. anything that's big and these big, funny, croony things. And I think, having sarcasm in those big things was kind of a thing I, I guess I drifted towards in my adolescent years doing these big deliveries, but it's all very sarcastic. I don't know. I don't know. It's yeah. stupid. And it's, yeah. I just, I'm just, I'm saying it. I'm like, kind of like processing it as I'm saying it. To oh, you. I, I, it's fine. It's totally fine. I, I think that's what it was. I think yeah. that that's it. I just like that. And then I liked screaming. Then there was just tons of screaming. I was just so into how pretentious all these fucking art sort of 90s bands were where screaming and crazy avant-garde silliness and I <laughs> and I took to that too I thought that was cool and then the two of them kind of happened together which is you know it is what it is <laughs> so so um uh, for like I, I'll ask this this question in just a few words but basically what happened to Glassjaw I mean your health problems were an issue 
And then you guys just kind of faded away. And there was this period of time for like five, six years where no one really knew what was going on. And, you know, like what kind of happened? I mean, obviously, I, I do want to talk about Head Automatica, too, because I love that project. Um, and I'm kind of wondering if that's ever going to come back. But uh, just this whole period of time, you know, post your second album, it, it really, I don't really know what happened. It's kind of just this weird cloud of um, uh, uncertainty, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we did, I guess, what was the last thing we did? We did Worship and Tribute, and then yeah. we did the Warp Tour, I guess, after that, 2002, maybe. And that was the end of the summer, I guess, as 2003 was approaching i was just you know jamming with a couple of dudes putting together the head automatic stuff um and i just did it i don't know i, I wasn't really thinking into the future too much it was just a lot of glass show for a lot of for a long time in my life i guess maybe yeah at that time yeah it was kind of you know 93 to 2003 and just like no room for anything but obsessing about glass jaw and you know maybe bickering at the time and touring and not making money and just right, I don't know right. it's just probably I think I just wanted to I don't know play in Head Automatica for a minute and then just I don't know 2003 2004 flew by and then I think 2005 we started you know playing a little sporadically working on some stuff at that point I mean it was only like two years but but I think that in that amount of time you know there was we weren't on a major label. We weren't putting out full length records, you know, from that time all the way for a while afterwards, you know, so it seems like we were totally dormant or hibernating. It was sparse, but it was only kind of two years of a really, you know, big lull maybe, but then there was kind of a lot of arts and crafts projects and putting out our right. own stuff and EPs and, you know, little, yeah, little, little things, but that, that's, I, I you know, I feel that a lot of it was, uh, I th think that really, Brought brought a lot of the, uh, you know, the the energy and the spontaneity of it, and and then kind of just taking it back into our our own hands. And around that time, I guess me and Justin kind of trimmed it down. We trimmed we trimmed down the band a bit, and it was uh, yeah, we got a couple of you know Manny and Daraja who we had been, we hadn't played with in a while. They kind of came yeah. back in, so it was kind of we it was just kind of it re restructured itself and we figured out our groove and how to, you know, how to play shows, how often to play shows. And I think maybe in that two years off, I think, you know, me and Justin learned a bunch of, a bunch of shit, you know, like he learned, he learned a lot. He's, you know, he does merch direct. And I think that was, right. that was the beginning of the beginning sort of era of that, you know, and uh, I'm sure he learned so much, you know, obviously in that time. And I, and me too, I was on the road nonstop and playing different, you know, different music, playing a lot of crazy a lot of crazy bands I otherwise wouldn't have played with. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. But I guess around the you know, two thousand five I think we started we put the shoes back on and tried to figure out how to do it at our at, at our own pace, you know. And your own pace was twelve years later you made a record. <laughs> well, in terms of full length, the pace is well, yeah, probably right. you know, but I, it was very knows. few songs between. Hey, I mean, that was quick. That was quick. <laughs> twelve years is fast. <laughs> but you know, like I mean it's it's is it a crazy question just to ask like to just to ask you kind of like obviously you were doing all these things, but there's a lot of time there. Like, you know, I mean what like I I guess like, you know, we're all working musicians here, like what were you doing for money? What were you doing to kind of sustain yourself? Like, seriously. I don't know. We, uh, I know mean, there was a lot, you know, there was, there was a lot of glass jaw stuff. There, you know, there was, there was, uh, yeah. two EPs, two EPs spread apart. We put together, uh, it's probably almost, I don't know, almost in a, I mean, we put, yeah, we put together a, a lot of stuff, you know, EPs and different, different arts and crafts projects and head automatic. I had two albums in that time. Yeah. I was still right. playing shows, you know, far, you know, long after, 2005 even with head automatic i had both of those things going on producer i produced a lot of stuff justin you know had yep. a lot of things going on merch direct i mean there's just always a lot of a lot of things you know i played with a lot of people in that time there's a lot of learning a lot of learning yeah. goes on no, in those I, years you know the 2003 zone it's a lot you know there's a lot of records i mean at this point you know, I, I'm, I was never the type of guy to rush any sort of records, and I, Justin's not that type of guy, and I'm not that type of guy, and I don't. There's just no reward in putting it forth when it's just not good or it's rushed because you're just killing, you're just killing yourself in the long run anyway. And I, and I, mm -hmm. you know, there's you know, there's a lot of stuff put out 
Uh, not a lot of stuff. There was enough put out that I do, you know, I do feel that just that, that era was filled with music between Head Automatica, um, uh, you know, about several records. There was also another record that didn't come out, a bunch of glass show shit. It was just kind of nonstop. I actually think it was way too much music. There was another, you say there was another Head Automatica record that didn't come out after Papagena? Yeah. 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 There was, uh, I don't know what year was it was, maybe 2000. 2010. So, so what's the story? Know. What's the story there? Because I mean, I love both those two records, and I was going to ask you, like, is there a chance of the band ever coming back? Um, uh, but the no, record just I exists. Is anyone? Too. Is the record available? Like, is it? Did uh, it get no. leaked? No, no, it's no, it hasn't been leaked yet. It's just in your car only. <laughs> just in my car. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just for me. Yeah. I don't think it really. I don't think it leaked yet. I guess it's it's around. I know some people have some of the shit, but. You know, I, I think there was time for me, myself, and me and Justin, or Justin and I, as Glassjaw, to yeah. part ways with uh, Warner Brothers and to, I don't know, there was a lot of big changes around that era in the uh, music industry, and it was just, there was just no way for us to, you know, for him and I to do that, to do Glassjaw and have it work, or for us to do it the way we'd want to do it and be on Warner Brothers, no way. There's too much, and there's too much, you know. Uh, you know, baggage at that point, yeah. and, yeah. and I kind of, I think I kind of just, uh, I think that, I think the head automatic record was kind of a casualty of that, in order to get off. But well, you know, that's uh, yeah, that's yeah, man. Wow, wow. There's a lot. There's a lot there to process. Um, man, I, I uh, thank you for taking the time um, to to do this, man. Um, what else is going on with you? What else is coming up? Also, I want to ask you about the color film project too, because I know there's a lot of people that you know fans of the show and stuff were asking about that. If that's an ongoing thing or if that was kind of a one-off. Yeah, no, that's definitely that's definitely going. I mean, you were asking a lot of you know what was going on in that time. There was a yeah. you know I, I started I started color film uh, maybe 2009, 10, even 2010, I guess with my. My buddy, my brother, very good friend of mine, Richard Penzone, and uh, he's he's a phenom. Um, he's at everything, everything he does, and it's it was an amazing, amazing time, amazing project. I couldn't be happier. But um, yeah, we just didn't put out uh, the records that we had prepared for a little while, and we uh, eventually, I guess, a couple of years ago, put out maybe two years ago at this point, put out um, a full length on Epitaph. And, uh, yeah, but we had a bunch of shit recorded, definitely many, <laughs> multiple records of, of material. And we kind of narrowed it down with Epitaph and they were interested of, interested was kind of putting together, compiling the, a bunch of the tunes and we cool. did that. Yeah. So played a bunch of great shows, but, uh, I, uh, moved recently. So as I've kind of been apart from, uh, from Richard and, uh, we just had a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. A lot of you moved, stuff, where, a do lot you of live, where do you live now? I live in Miami. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's. I mean, you're gonna have much better weather on your birthday now. I am. I am. It was. It was. Uh, it was 90 on my birthday last uh, <laughs> February. Yeah, recently. Yeah, so. 40th birthday yeah. in Miami. That sounds. That sounds good. But that's just Not you know man. you're going outside Not into your backyard. That's. That's cool. What, what was the change about? If you don't mind me asking too many personal questions, why why down there? No, not at all. Uh, my wife and I love. We love Miami. We love it. We love it a lot. Um, yeah, I don't know. We enjoy it. We enjoy it. We've always spent a lot of time here. We uh, loved coming here as much as we possibly could. And uh, we had just had our son. And uh, right. what better time, you know, what better time to change it up, switch switch the whole paradigm up at that point. Cool. And uh, yeah, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful place. I love it. That's great. I hope I hope you can you know work on some maybe some calypso music or some you know some sunny style like side project would be would be really that's cool. Right. That's right. There's a lot to be a lot of money to be made. <laughs> there probably is, man. There probably is. I don't know the first thing about. No, there was there was Victory World. Do you remember that? What's that? Uh, so Victory Records, because Tony grew up in the Bahamas. Okay. He actually had a side label. Not a lot of people know this. Called Victory World, where he no, did, did where he did all this like world, you know, music like um, just island music. That is far out. Seri- oh, that it was is so far very out. Very far out. Yep. 
Yep. I had no idea. I don't even know if there's like if you can even find any, anything about it. But it was like it was a legitimate thing for a while. Like you'd get the Victory Records catalog and you'd have like oh Strife God. and Hatebreed and then you know like Thursday and shit and then <laughs> there'd be this like what? Victory World like Calypso Jams Volume 4? Really? Oh, I never yeah, heard of that. Yeah, I don't know no, how that, I've had to miss that. Oh my god. I a lot of people missed it, but because my band was on Victory for like ten years, I saw all that shit. Yeah. So that was a oh, really you guys weird... were on Victory. See, and I mentioned yeah, yeah, Victory yeah. before and I didn't even and I didn't even remember that or realize that. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, oh, no. Victory was great in the beginning. Oh my god, that was such a I gave so much money to him. Oh my god. <laughs> well <laughs> Yeah, you spent it on me, so good. Uh well, did he really write handwritten notes to you when you when you survived? Yeah. It was always letter. It would always be letters. Yeah, it was always like you know we're we're out of this, and it was always, I was always sending singles, like sending like dollar bills and envelopes and my yeah, it, yeah. with children's writing. I mean, like ninety three, yeah, nineteen ninety, like on like writing on like handmade stationery like letterhead, so it looked like I had a band like writing him from this sort of like <laughs> handmade bands letterhead that I sort of put together in my bedroom like just yeah. these very young memories of writing because I, I remember but yeah cause i remember buying i think the first record i ever bought like i mail ordered from victory was probably like maybe the first Snapcase record or something like that so That's maybe maybe that was on. it was fairly early on so but I, I definitely didn't get a handwritten note from tony brummel that would have fuck i wish i wish <laughs> <laughs> yeah those are good records man the only the uh only the strong compilation was very amazing yeah. at the time. That was that was that was very early on. Well, that record changed. Uh, I mean, Justin's life at the time. <laughs> what was pretty cool was when we signed. Um, they were really nice uh, and really cool about us just going in and and raiding the warehouse. So, like, you want to talk about old Victory Records, like limited color vinyl? I've oh, got wow. I've got like everything. So like you <laughs> want good records, man. The uh, Warzone stuff. That's uh-huh. the stuff I want. Yeah, Warzone a lot of that. Stuff. I got a lot of that, but I mean, I got like I got some of the like really weird stuff they put out too, like Baby Gopal. Like I got that on Pink Vinyl. You know, like Ooh, I got some real yes, weird stuff. Yes, but yes. man, there were there were so many bands too on Victory like that were under the under the radar. Like that band Gray Area. That was like such a good band. Man. Gray Area. Yes, and I remember nobody, that band. Nobody too. like ever talks about that band. Um. That's yeah. fucking crazy. I haven't thought about this stuff in a while. I know. <laughs> it's I mean, quite too. a long time. No, me neither. And, no, and I have it all. I have all the letters. I remember the stickers he used to put on the on the letters. Like they were these bizarre old. School. It was just everything was very old school feeling yeah. when I look at these things. Yeah, I have. I saved everything. All, oh, all I love it. that. I love that. All the catalogs. Yeah, the Victory catalog was very amazing. Very distribution. That was like the catalog when the very yeah, catalog yeah, yeah, came yeah, out. Right, we right. Fucking freak out. Yeah, man. Wow, hardcore. Hardcore is great. <laughs> it, it is, man. It really is, right? It is, man. So, um, t- anything else to tell the people? You got anything new coming out? Anything to plug? Any shows? Uh, uh, anything at all? What shows? What shows? Well, Glass has uh, playing a big festival on Long Island. Uh, in the next few months, we're playing... I think it's a warp tour show in Atlantic City. I oh think, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the next few weeks, yeah. right? I think it's like Little Wayne, Blink One Eighty Two, some crazy big, bizarre stuff. Yeah, I think we're playing that. I think we're doing a festival in Vegas. I forget the name of it. Oh, I wish I was better with remembering names of festivals, but I never seem to. Um, and then we got to go to we're doing like Russia and Spain in the next few weeks. Crazy. Have you been to Russia before? <laughs> no. No, oh, no boy. I mean, it's Very excited. It's fu- I love it, but I I kind of I feel like the, I haven't been in about four four years, and I feel like shit's kind of changed in the last like four years. Probably that's just like in your heads that like you know the big news broadcasts put in your head that it's like different now. It's probably the same old shit, but it, uh, I it might be the same. Absolutely old shit. love love the people there and like love the fans, man. They that's will, good to hear. They will that's trip. They will. They'll bug you out, man. Yeah, I'll be bugged out, dude. They're gonna have me bugging out. I heard when you go to Russia. Oh, it's great! <laughs> it's great. Like our the, my favorite thing ever is is that um we were we were just like hanging out and somebody recognized us like you know outside a restaurant and comes running over this like huge Russian guy so excited with this little tiny backpack. It was so funny. And he says to Josh, who's got a mustache, he's got like a pretty big mustache. He goes, Mister Mustache Man. I love you. 
Please to give me your five, and he hands and he hands up his hand for Josh to give him a high five, and I was like, "This place is awesome." <laughs> well, I hope I have some far out experiences uh, akin to that on my trip. I don't know how long I'm going to be there, but I'm sure it's going to be very, very interesting. Very That's interesting. cool. Well, enjoy, enjoy it, man. Enjoy it, man. Uh, well, Daryl, thank you so much uh, for taking the time, and uh, I always play music at the end. Is there? Is there a song from any of your projects you, you'd like me to play for the people, or should I just pick one? You pick one. I wouldn't know what to say. You pick one. You I pick know. one you think is good. I trust you. I All trust right. You. All right, dude. Hey, thank you so much, man. I really do appreciate this. Thanks. I hope this is all right. It was good, uh, awesome. it was good meeting you and good chatting with you. Be in touch, man. Definitely. Absolutely, Text man. me. Take care, man. Take it easy, buddy. Cheers. So there it is with Daryl and... Uh, what a great dude and what an amazing vocalist and a guy that really paved the way for so many bands, good and bad, but it really was my pleasure to have him on the show and a guy that I think this podcast as an entity just wouldn't be complete without you know a chapter about Daryl because he has been that important to so many bands in whatever you want to call it, hardcore, the scene, punk rock, New York City, music, uh, just everything. So thanks again to Daryl for taking the time. Hey, make sure you hit the subscribe button, whatever you're listening to this on. Make sure if you like the show, it's really easy. Just go on iTunes, write a quick review, preferably five stars. You can say some words. It would really, really help. It's pretty cool. We have been consistently on the charts of music podcasts for the last little while and that stuff does matter that stuff does help and go a long way and spread the word tell your friends tell your loved ones join the all access club leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access I think I forgot to say that in the beginning anyway check it out and now I will leave you with a couple tunes one just isn't enough so we're going to keep it with the rock first and then I'm going to leave you with a dancey number. Get you dancing on the rest of your day. Here is Glass Jaws, Tip Your Bartender, followed by Head Automatica's Beating Hearts Baby. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you all next week. Peace and love.